So we are continuing this series. Again, we started last week. We started with uh, the life of Moses, and, and literally we started at the beginning of his life. And when we looked, saw the, the environment in Egypt that Moses was born into, it was not a pretty picture, right, as we see that. Uh, and yet he is born into that. Um, he's adopted into the palace uh, by the daughter of Pharaoh, and, and he is, is raised uh, up again in in the palace, and, and, and it hears things, learns things, observes um, different things that as he's, um, God is preparing him, right, to fulfill what God needs him to do. So t- today we're going to continue on uh, into the story, and so uh, if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me uh, to Exodus chapter 2. <laughs> we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Um, just, and so we stopped in the middle of chapter 2 last week where he was, uh, again, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter uh, and just grew up. And then actually the text literally skips several years. As we, we jump into our, our, our text for this morning, we're going to start in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, and, and literally we fast forward and um, skip all of his childhood, right? Even all of those tumultuous teenage years and, and all of those things, right? Those are just skipped right over. And then we see, we pick up here in Exodus 2, verse 11. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, open with me. If you're here with us in person, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats you're welcome to use. If you're with us online, you can grab your Bible and read along as well. Uh, if you don't have your own Bible around close, uh, then you can just listen as I read it. But we're going to pick up here, Exodus 2, uh, verse 11. Where it says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. And the man replied, well, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. And we're going to pause right there, um, because we see here that we take a quick turn in the story, don't we? Right, I mean, here we see God's hand on him, we see God's provision, we see God's anointing on Moses, and then we fast forward to his, the, his adult years, and he goes out and he literally murders somebody just a few verses in. As you sit back, and, and you might be wondering the same thing as I, when I read this story, it's like, well, this is God's plan for, this is God's anointed. This is how he wants to, to do this. And, and I think we obviously see that, that, I mean, Moses as a murderer was not God's plan for his life. I mean, that's, that's a safe assumption. And yet when we see this, though, one of the, the, we step away from just for a moment, let's kind of put the fact that he's a murderer on the, on the side for a second. But let's, first, let's look at why Again, he did what he did. As we see that, right, we, Moses obviously knew his heritage. He knew he was a Hebrew. Even though he was raised in a different environment, right, in the palace and, and under Pharaoh as, as adopted by, by Pharaoh's daughter. But he knew he was a Hebrew. I mean, the text tells us he knew his people. Right? He observed their situation. That he, he saw what, what led to the murderous act, right, was, 
was the realization that his people were being oppressed. Right? That his people were being abused. That his people um, were, were not in a good place. Right? And, and as we see that, again, the, the motivation behind this sinful act right, of murder was, was, was righteous. And from that, we can observe that, that Moses already had his purpose ingrained in his heart. Again, what, we, we already know how the story goes, right? We see the purpose. We know that God is anointing Moses to lead his people out of their situation. I mean, that's, that's where the story's going, right? Spoiler alert. God had already anointed. God, but what we see here is that God had put that purpose for Moses already ingrained in his heart and in his mind, right? Because of the way God made him, the, the, the purpose that God had put on him, right? His personality, his abilities, the, 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 again, his, his will of putting him into the palace and, and all those kinds of things, right? Was, had, this was already deeply ingrained in Moses' heart. God had created him to fulfill this purpose, now, obviously, the, the purpose was righteous, right? He, he, he wanted to help his people. But in this moment, though, Moses handles it his own way, with his own power, and he messed it up. Again, the purpose was not wrong, right? The motivation was not wrong. In fact, that motivation was put there by God. Stand up for your people. Right? What's happening to them is not right. And, and yet, Moses decides in that moment, he, he, handles, he, he takes matters into his own hands. Right? And he handles it with his own power. And he messes it up pretty bad. Because he ends up literally as a fugitive. Right? I mean, he's a fugitive on the run. Moses finds out, right? Justice is served, right? And, and he, he tries to kill him, but Moses escapes, and he goes to the land of Midian. And we wonder, again, why, why would this even be a part of the story? <laughs> right? That's one of the things, though, that I love about Scripture, is the fact that it, it doesn't sugarcoat the story. It doesn't only tell us the, 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 the good things. Right? Again, if Scripture was just made up, right, just to, then Moses would have never been a murderer. Right? But that's, that's the reality of what happened. I mean, Moses took this into his own hands. He handled it his own way and his own power, and he messed it up. And yet that is the, the foundation of the gospel message, right, of the human condition. Is that God created us in his image, right? We have God's heart and God's vision ingrained in us. But yet we mess it up. In fact, that's just the standard of the gospel message. I mean, the, this is where we start, right? Romans 3.23, for all, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Again, I realize and honestly hope, right, that we're not all sitting here murderers today. Hey, but yet we... we can identify, though, with Moses, not necessarily on the murder side, but, but on the idea of, that I, I take things, I handle them my own way, right, in my own power, and I'm good at messing it up. Guilty. 
Right? And we, we look at that, right? We can identify with Moses in this moment because we have all sinned. Right? We all fall short of glory standard. His, his, his hands, God's fingerprints are all over us. He created us, right? He put that purpose in our hearts and our minds, and, and yet we are really good at messing it up. And so here's Moses, right, running from God, running from his purpose, running literally from those that want to kill him. And he runs, and, and he runs into Midian, and, and, and there, again, he, he finds favor. Okay, God, God connects him to Jethro and to his wife, and he has kids, and, and Moses kind of starts over. And, and most, he literally goes from a life of, of royalty, right, life in the palace, right, down to literally nothing as he's on the run. Hey, but yet, he, again, God directs these things, and, and again, we're going to kind of skip over some of the rest of chapter 2 and as, as we see where, where more years pass, and God just continues to, to guide Moses and refine him and, and, and work on his heart and his character and, and brings different things into his life. And then um, we see in the midst of all of this okay, that God still has a plan for Moses. Hey, this is not the end of the story. This very could have easily been the end of the story. In fact, that could be the end of our story, right? Is we mess it up and, and God just turns his back on us. But guess what? That's not the end of the story, right? Praise God. That's not the end of the story. They want to like, fast forward, skip over many more years, right? And then we're going to pick up the story in, in Exodus uh, 3, verse 1. You know, this, again, is is where Moses is now, again, several years older. He's married. He has some kids, okay? And he's working for his father-in-law, Exodus 3, verse 1. He says, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called out to him in the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Now this, I mean, this is a part of the story that we like, right? This is a part that we that we, is, is in every kid's Sunday school curriculum, right? The burning bush. Hey, I, I, and as we, as we see this burning bush, this is a literal miracle, right, in this. 
Not necessarily because the bush doesn't burn up. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive, I mean, honestly. Right? But, but even beyond that, the, the true miracle is the fact that, that God's presence is in that fire. Right? That God's voice, you know, literally is manifested from that fire. Right? And addresses Moses. I mean, this is, this is an incredible miracle. Right? And, this, and God uses this miracle to get Moses' attention. And this is, this is a really cool picture of who God is because, because this is God pursuing Moses. Even, and again, even though we know, I mean, God knows, right, that he has fallen short. That he's not worthy, right, of God's presence. He's a murderer. And yet God shows up in, in this refining fire. And the idea that it's a fire is not, is not a coincidence. Okay, the, the, this is very symbolic, right, of Moses being purified, right, in God's presence. So he can even be in God's presence, right? For the wages of sin is death. And again, God even tells him that, right? He's like, you are on holy ground. And Moses quickly understands, he knows the gravity of the situation, right? He says he covers his face, right? And knows that, that he is teetering on death in God's presence. And God gets his attention, and then he communicates to Moses his plan for him, right? His, his ultimate purpose, Right, and when we look at this, we realize um, God, as he's pursuing Moses, and, and as he anoints Moses' life, that, that God will use anything that it takes, even miracles, to get our attention. Right, in fact, I can look back in my life, and, and I know for many of you, and your stories and your journeys are, are, are similar, right? As you can look back and say, like, yep, there was the miracle. Right, that's where God spoke up right there. That's where he refined me there. Right? And God still uses miracles, right, just like he did for Moses, to refine us and to get our attention right? and to open our eyes to what our lives are supposed to really be about. Right? And that's exactly what he does again for Moses here in this burning bush. God will use anything it takes, even miracles, to get our attention. Okay, let's, let's continue on here at verse uh, 11. Which says, but Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am with uh, the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, well, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Again, well, I want to stop there again as we kind of unpack what just happens here in this moment, right? We, we see, again, Moses 
protests to God, and he kind of pushes back on that calling, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a minute. But, but before we get there, okay, we realize, again, we see, again, as he pushes back, that God reveals his name. Now, there's, there's a lot in the name. In fact, even, I mean, even today, right? I mean, as we, if you learn someone's name, I mean, it, it, it automatically notches you to a next level of relationship with them. Right? And again, they move from stranger to acquaintance, right, when you know their name. And again, one of the most powerful things, right, about relationship is knowing someone's name. You know, we, we can probably all think about that, right, and remember a time when somebody remembered my name. And we can also remember at times when somebody didn't know their name, you know, or didn't know your name, right, or they pronounce it wrong. Right, now, to say that is I'll say I feel like that's one of my biggest failures as a pastor, I don't remember your names as well as I should. So I'm sorry. Hey, but there's a lot in the name. Hey, and again, as Moses looks at this, God, uh, again, God already knew Moses. He knew that he had chosen Moses. But again, part of this process, part of this purifying on Mo, for Moses was that he needed to learn about God. Okay, and the same is true in our, in our faith journey, right? Is we need to learn more about who God is, right? And the more we learn about who God is, the more it reveals who we are because we're made in his image, right? And he learns about God. And, and in fact, we see there are two, two names of God that are presented here in this passage. And, and as we look at that, there, but there's, there's a lot of names of God in scripture, Okay, it's not just these two. In fact, we, we look at all the different names of God, and, and the different names of God help us comprehend who God is. Okay, and that we get to know a God that is bigger than we can ever imagine. I mean, our minds cannot even comprehend, truthfully, everything about God. Hey, but yet we can learn different aspects of God by his different names. There are a lot of names for God throughout the Bible. In fact, one of the prayer stations that Kim had set up here during our, our prayer event, right, was, was the, the station about the names of God. And it's a big list. Hey, the, the names of God help us comprehend who he is. And, and again, we see this as, as Moses asks this question, right, and God tells him who he is. Right? And this is a, a process, again, that Moses is going through of learning about God. And the more he learns about God and, and the more that he then is able to be transformed by God right? and anointed to fulfill his purpose. Okay, there are, as I said, there are two names of God that are given in this passage. The, one, the first one is I am. You know, th this, this is kind of an odd name, isn't it? Right, but when you think about this, this name, I am, is, is that this, again, he just, it communicates that God is. Right, it communicates his superiority, right, his sovereignty, his eternal existence, right, that he is the uncreated creator, that he is, he's the top of the mountain, right, he, he is the ultimate authority, he, he just is. I am. Is, is God, right? Now, the, the, the second name that, that is given is the name Yahweh. You know, this is, is a very interesting name. This was the, the, 
the name of the Israel knew God as, right? In fact, that's exactly what, what God tells him. He says, when you go to Israel, just tell them that Yahweh, right? Now, again, Yahweh was, um, it, literally in the Hebrew language, has no vowels, right? And in fact, we put the vowels in it so we can know how to translate it and, and pronounce it, right? Then write it down. But, but it, it was literally um, the, the name, right, that represents the author of life and breath. Right? Then this name of God that was one that, that was um, so intimate and special to the Israelites that, that they wouldn't even say it. Okay, that it was designed to literally be the sound, or the, you pronounce it with your breath. Right? If inhaling and exhaling is Yahweh. Right? It's the God, the author of life, right, that breathes life into us. Okay, this name came to be regarded by the Jewish people and it was so sacred to them that it was not to be spoken. Both names give the same connotation though. As we think about this, right, both of these names um, lead to ultimately, the ultimate kind of name of God is, is given in, in, or summarized in Revelation twenty-two thirteen: I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is the God that not only appeared to Moses, but it is the God that we serve today. Right? He is the unchanging, uncreated creator. Now, as you see, again, this, this situation right, that Moses encounters here with this burning bush and, and his name, we, as I said, Moses protests to God. Right? He pushes back to God about this assignment, about this role. And now we read the first one. Okay, but the reality is there, he actually gives four different protests back to God about this calling, about this, this job that he's supposed to do. Right, the, the first protest we see, we read in verse 11, okay, where Moses questions his worthiness of the calling. He, he comes back, he's like, God, I, I can't do that. He's like, God, in case you didn't know, <laughs> I'm not worthy of this. I'm a murderer. I messed it up. And the reality, though, is we learn, again, from Moses, as God anoints him and says, no, you are worthy of this. Again, not because of what you've done, right? You are worthy because I've chosen you. Right? He's worthy because God is worthy. And like I said, this, the whole idea of fire has been purifying Moses, right, to anoint him for this. He has been set apart by God. He's been purified by God's presence, right, to, and to be made worthy of the calling. Not because of his own power, but because of God's power. In fact, we see this, right, we know this concept, right, this the same concept of when we receive Christ as our Savior, when we accept him and invite him into our lives, surrender our heart and our lives to him, invite him into our lives, we find him through salvation, but also we get purified by his Spirit. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. And again, we're, we're not worthy. But we are worthy because of Christ. And just like God purifies Moses, God purifies each one of us when we receive him as our Savior. When we join the journey of faith. Right? And, and it's, it's really, 
I guess the, the cool thing about this passage is every time Moses protests, God responds, right, to show him that that's not a valid argument, Moses. Right, you, you can do this, right? Again, he, first he says, I'm not worthy to do this, and God says, no, you're worthy because I'm worthy, and I've called you. Right, the second protest is in verse 13. Right, and this is where Moses questions his knowledge. Right, this is when he says, like, no, I, I can't do it. I don't know enough to do this. Right, I can't go to the Israelites. I mean, these are, these are people that are trained. They know you, right? They're, they're not going to accept me. I don't know enough. Again, this is where we see that God, in this protest, speaks back to him and, and says, but, but I am, right? I, I am the beginning and the I am the, the source of all knowledge. Again, where you fall short, God fills in. Right? Proverbs 2.6, for the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Right? You don't have to know enough because God already knows it. You just have to be submitted to God. Okay, the, the third protest right, that Moses gives is in chapter 4, verse 1, where Moses questions his own authority. Right, he says, God, I don't have the authority to do this. I can't lead a nation. Right, he pushes back on God and says, I don't have the authority to do this. Okay, again, where, where we fall short, I mean, who, God says, I am. Right? I have all authority in the world. Where you fall short, I will step in. Okay, Ephesians 1, 19 through 20 and verse 22. He says, I, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And then this is telling us that, that as a follower of Jesus, you have the same power at your hands that raised Christ from the dead. You have the same power that has, that has taken everything in this world and flipped it upside down. Right? You don't have to have the authority yourself because God is the authority. And guess what? You're God's. Right? And you're on his side. Right, so again, I, I don't have to have any of the right authority. I have it because God is the authority, and I'm his servant. Right, we see in John 14, verses 12 through 14, right, which says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. I mean, these are the words of Jesus to us as his followers. Are right? you saying, don't worry about your authority. I've got all the authority in the world. All you got to do is ask. Right? Again, this is this past, I mean, this is why when we pray, we say we pray in Jesus' name, right? Because when we say that, we are claiming the authority of Christ himself. Right? And it shouldn't just be a, just a flippant phrase that we say at the end of a prayer, right? Because it, that's why we say it, right? And it becomes routine. And I know it can and it does, right? But that's what it means. That's why we say it. Right? Because we don't have the authority. We're claiming God's authority. 
Right? We're asking in Jesus' name. Okay, the fourth protest that, that Moses pushes back, you know, back at God is that Moses questions his own ability. This guy, I don't know how to do that. I mean, that's such a monumental task. I, I, can't, I can't do that. I don't know. I have no idea even where to start. And then God literally gives him, shows him where to start. I mean, he gives him some, some miracles. He gives him some, you know, some tools in his tool belt, right, to say, this is how it will go. This is what you do, right? And, and God literally gives him exactly what he needs for that moment. We see in 2 Corinthians 12, we see, again, Paul talks about this, addresses the same concept, right? About how, again, we fall short, right? We don't have the ability that's needed to accomplish what God needs us to accomplish. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 and 10, it says, Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I take pleasure in my weakness, in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? Where we fall short, God fills in. Right? And again, why, why is he stronger in his weakness? Well, because that's when he, we get out of the way, right? and our ego gets set aside, and then God can work. Right? And again, he pushes back. He's, Moses says, God, I, I don't have the right ability to do that. And God's like, you don't need it. I do. I have everything you need. Right? And, and God gives those to him. Again, where we fall short, God steps in. In fact, this is true for the gospel. Right? When we fall short, we cannot save ourselves. God steps in. And he saves us by grace. Right? Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so all we have to do is just accept that authority, accept that power, accept that that offer, right? Of where we fall short, God steps in. And we live by grace. Okay, but this is also very true, not just in our salvation, but this is true every day as we live our lives as a follower of Jesus. Right? Where I fall short, God steps in. And I already told you, right, I'm guilty. I've messed it up as much as you have. Right? I've said things that I shouldn't have said. I've, I've done things I shouldn't have done. Right? But yet, where I fall short, God steps in. Right? God equips the ones he calls for whatever they need. For that situation, for that season, for that conversation, for, for that task, God equips those that he calls. Yeah, we talk in Journey Class 3 about spiritual gifts and personality types and, and how God, you know, again, gives us everything we need to accomplish what he needs us to accomplish. God can give you whatever ability you need, right, when you need it. Now, sometimes God makes up for our weaknesses in different ways. Sometimes he just gives you that ability, right, supernaturally or in a miracle, whatever. Sometimes he brings other people into your life that can do what you can't do. I mean, this is... What we see in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Right? It, we're never alone if we're following Christ, because he's always with us, right? But he can also bring more people. Right? In fact, that's exactly what he does for Moses, is he brings in Aaron. Right? And, and he, he meets that, that shortcoming again with, 
with another person. Now, we can look back over all four of Moses' arguments, right? And we can likely identify with all of them, right? These are things that we believe about ourselves whenever God asks us to do something. And again, you can probably think back to times when God's asked you to do something. And, and again, we, we have these responses ready, right? I'm not worthy of that calling. I don't know enough. No one will listen to me. I don't have the right skills or the right personality. I mean, these are things we've all said, right? And we've all felt, just like Moses did. But just like God counteracted every protest of Moses, we see how God continues to do exactly the same thing for us. If we accept Christ as our Savior, we join the journey of faith, and we start to be transformed by his Spirit, and we move forward in our faith journey every day. If we follow through with what we commit to, Right? If they, and then we will accomplish what he directs us to accomplish. Maybe because just like when we, Moses did and God counteract every protest that Moses brought up, right, the same is true in our lives. God is there with us to counteract every argument. <laughs> because God has created you for a purpose. And, and will you fulfill it? Again, and then once we know that purpose here, Moses knew his purpose. Right, and then it's time for action. Right, God's counteracted this. He's, he's anointed him. He's equipped him. And, and now God says, now it's time to go. Okay, and that's exactly what we see in this last section that we're going to cover today in Exodus 4, 18 through 31. And again, we're not going to read that text. So I encourage you to go back and read it on your own. Okay, but this is time for action, right? This is where Moses goes. Okay, in fact, that's exactly um, how uh, chapter 4 starts. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no, it doesn't. This is where this text in verse 18, right, is it says, so Moses went. Right, and they here, see all these details about when he went, right, but it was time for action and he did it. He followed through. He fulfilled his commitment to God and says, okay, God, I will do it. Okay, and this, we see Moses' reaction to God in this moment and it was, his reaction to God was one of surrender. He says, fine, God, I mean, Moses got the picture. Anything I say, you're going to counteract. I'm fine, I'll do it. I'll surrender to your will. In fact, that's exactly what we see Moses do here in Exodus 4.20. It says, Moses took his wife and his sons and he put them on a donkey and he headed back to the land of Egypt. And in his hand, he carried the staff of God. Right? He surrendered his life and his will to what God was asking him to do. Full surrender. All right, God. And not just surrender. He didn't just, you know, pray and say, God, I surrender. He went. Right? He took action. He did it. Okay, then he gets there, and if the first step was to talk to the Israelites, right, and get the Israelites all back to get on the, so they're all on the same side, right? And Moses represents them to Pharaoh. And so he goes to the Israelites, and he does what God tells him to do, and he talks about Yahweh, and he does the, the miracle and all the things. And then we see the Israelites' reaction to God. Okay, and their reaction to God was one of praise and worship. Okay, they, they see that God heard their prayer, that God sent somebody to lead them. Probably not the person they thought would come, but, but Moses shows up, right? And they, they, they see the anointing of God on them, and we see their reaction in 431. It says, And the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Okay, God sees you 
He sees your life. God is pursuing you. Right? God is trying to get your attention. God wants to, to transform you by his spirit. God wants to save you. Okay, we see these reactions, right? It is the full surrender to God, right? And then we see the reaction of that God, God cares about me. God is acting. God is working. And there is praise and worship. And just my, that's, again, a challenge to us today is going to be, what is your reaction to God? What's going to be your reaction to God today? Okay, we all have the same protests against God, right? Whether, whether you've never joined the journey of faith ever. Maybe you're here, you're just learning about God. You've never received him as your savior. You're trying to figure out what it's all about. And, again, and there's all these questions in your head and in your heart. And you're thinking like, God, I, I just, I don't know. I'll tell you, God loves you. God's pursuing you. God, and God wants to save you and he wants to transform you. What's going to be your reaction? Will you receive him as your savior? Will you open your life and surrender your heart to him? Will you invite him in? If you have joined the journey of faith, you have prayed and seen, God's been, God's like, okay, now it's time to get to work. Right, now it's time to be transformed, right? To, to fulfill your purpose that God's given you. And yet we, as we push back all the time, don't we? I can't do that, God. You, you can't use me in that way, Lord. And God's like, yeah, I can. Watch me. Right? What's going to be your reaction to God? When you fall short, God steps in. What is God asking you to do today? Is he asking you to be saved? I'll tell you, if you're not, he, that's exactly what he's asking you to do. I'll just tell you that. That is the heart of God. He wants to save you. If you are saved, right, then ask God, what, what, what do you need me to do, Lord? What's the next step of my journey? Right? And then will you do it? Will you surrender? Right? Will you praise? Will you, will you submit to God? And as, again, I just encourage you, again, you don't have to tell me. It's not, it's not between me and you. It's between you and God. Right? Respond to him today. And as we think and see this challenge, what's your reaction to God today? I just want to give you this final thought. And this, again, this, this verse counteracts so many, you know, pushbacks that we give God. It comes from Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned long ago. That's how God sees you, as a masterpiece that he made. Right? And even if you are a murderer, God sees you as a masterpiece. Because right? he wants to redeem you. He wants to purify you. He wants to transform you. He wants to save you. He wants to anoint you. You are God's masterpiece, and he's created you new in Christ to do the good things that he has for you. Are you going to commit to them? Are you going to follow through? Are we going to follow, again, the example of Moses? I hope you will. Lord God, we thank you, God, that you are the author of life, that you are the breath in our lungs. God, that you are I am. And God, we pray that you would continue to lead each one of us. Lord, you would anoint each one of us. God, whatever the next step is that you're calling us to, whatever our purpose is that we need to fulfill, God, that we will be obedient to that and we will surrender to you. God, whether that's surrendering to salvation for the first time or just receiving your mercy and grace and love, Lord, and anointing to the next step of our journey, I pray, God, that as we go this week, that we will be faithful to that call. Lord, we will have the conversation. 
we will make the invite. Right? We will take the stand. We'll make the phone call. Uh, we'll just praise you. Lord, whatever it is you're calling us to, Lord, we commit to being faithful to that this next week. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for being the author of life. Thank you for being I am. And Lord, for giving us your power. Lord, we go with that power today into this week to bring glory to you. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.